Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the Word of God says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now to the New Testament Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, he's speaking to Thomas, he said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As I have mentioned already, the four Advent sermons I will preach this year begin with Isaiah 6. Primarily, I will we'll be preaching some from Isaiah 7. And we'll focus on the names of Jesus. Last week, I connected the first two phrases, a child is born, a son is given, to the unique nature of Jesus being all God and all man, and the New Testament name given to him of Emmanuel, God with us. I encouraged you last week to, as I gave the, the vocabulary lesson of hypostatic union, which describes Jesus being all God, all man, all the time. And I, I gave you a, an assignment to use that in, in regular common uh, conversation. I've been rather impressed with some of your efforts to make that happen. That's not an easy word to employ. But today we turn our attention to the first two names that the prophet Isaiah declares that Jesus will be called. And he says of Jesus that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Wonderful Counselor acknowledges that the Messiah, Jesus, will be the one who reveals the glorious truth of God. He will be the revelation of God, proclaim the truth of God. And calling him mighty God declares that he is God and will exercise the power of God. Isaiah declares that the Messiah will be God, revealing the truth of himself to the world. In the New Testament, one of the clearest declarations of this comes in the Gospel of John, chapter 14. We read verse 6, but verse 6 comes in response to Thomas, who is responding to something that Jesus had said. Jesus was encouraging his disciples that he was preparing a, an eternal dwelling place for them with the Father in heaven, and that, he was going, that they were going to join him there. And it was going to be a place of eternal dwelling for all those who believed in God and in Jesus. And Thomas, listening to this, asked the practical question. I always appreciate the one who asked the practical question. This is why. We've all been in those situations where everybody in the room was wondering something, but very few in the room were willing to actually ask it out loud for fear of being embarrassed. And you're always thankful for that one person who's unafraid and asks the question that you, need to, you want to know but are too afraid to ask. And Thomas asked Jesus, how are we going to know how to get there? What is the way to the dwelling place of God? To which Jesus responds that he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. 
that no one, no one will come to the Father except through him. With this declaration, Jesus made it clear that the hope of the gospel was exclusively through himself. In other words, to know God is only through knowing Jesus because he's the wonderful counselor who reveals the truth of God, is the revelation of God. To know the truth is only through Jesus. You cannot know the truth of God through any other means. To receive the forgiveness from sins is only in Jesus. To receive eternal life is only in Jesus. So today, I want to connect the wonderful counselor, mighty God, with the Messiah, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life with really just two simple points. From the, 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 the Gospel of John passage, I want to talk about that he is the, the, the way and the truth. I want to talk about how he is the life. So beginning with the way and the truth. Jesus, so the question that Thomas asked, Jesus is describing uh, heaven. He's describing the, God's house where they will dwell. And Thomas just wants some directions. Tell me how to get there. What do I need to do? I think it's the, the, the crux of his question. What do I need to do? What are the directions that I need to follow? What are the things that I need to accomplish in order to get there? And Jesus corrects the question with the right answer. And he goes, oh, Thomas, it's not about you. It's about me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And any other effort will not work because you only come to the Father through me. Jesus is the way and the truth. Jesus is the way unto salvation. Now I connect this with the, the title that Isaiah gives to Jesus of Wonderful Counselor. The name of once Wonderful Counselor points to Jesus as the one who will reveal truth. A counselor advises as to what is, right, is, is the right way to proceed or the, the right course of action to take. But Jesus is more than just a counselor. Isaiah declares him to be a wonderful counselor. Now, the Hebrew word that's translated as wonderful can also be translated as astonishing, astonishing or of wonders. Together, the name of wonderful counselor testifies that Jesus will reveal the wonderful, eternal truth of God. He's more than just someone who's giving good advice. He is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Jesus says of himself in John 14, 6, that he is the way. Salvation, according to Jesus, is exclusively through himself. The Bible's testimony of Jesus is not that he is simply an example or a model. He doesn't say that, that he, is just to, he is going to show us the way. He doesn't say that he's going to help us find the way. He's not saying that he is pointing the way. He's not saying that he's going to enlighten you unto the way. He's not saying that he's just going to teach you the way. No, he is the way. He is the only way to the Father. Friends, you must go through Jesus and follow Jesus if you are to be saved. Wise and good earthly counselors can point you in the right direction. Wise and good earthly counselors can help you discover a profitable course of action. 
The Bible tells us that wisdom is found in, in many wise counsel. You ought to be seeking counsel of, of men in all sorts of areas of your life. We seek counsel for our help. What is the best thing for me to do for my help? We seek counsel in our, in our retirement accounts. How can I best invest my money? You seek counsel in all sorts of ways, but dear friends, earthly counselors can only point you in the right direction. They can only help you discover a profitable action. They can help you understand a, a solution that is better, but only Jesus. The wonderful counselor is the way to salvation. John's gospel is the only one that does not begin with a testimony of Jesus' birth. John's gospel begins with these words. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The wonderful counselor is the light of men that shines into the darkness of this world that we might come to salvation. He is the way unto salvation, and he is the truth of God. Now, this is important. A good counselor is wise and discerning. A good counselor is able to understand what is right and to give counsel accordingly. A good worldly counselor is gifted at understanding what is actually happening and therefore better understands what is most likely to happen in the future. That's their giftedness. They're able to see the reality of what is, and understanding the reality of what is, they often are able to give good counsel about what is to come. But friends, Jesus is not like worldly counselors who work to understand the truth. The Bible says that Jesus is the definer and the author of truth. Understand the difference there. Worldly counselors are looking, trying to discern what is true. Jesus does not discern what is true. He is what is true. The opening words of John's gospel make it clear that Jesus is the eternal God who created all things. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, speaking of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not, uh, was not anything made that was made. In other words, because he has created all things, he defines what is true. He is the definition of truth. He declares what is true. Jesus makes this plain in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the truth. I'm not, he's not saying I am, I know the truth. He's not saying he can tell us the truth. He says I am the truth. I define what is true. Because Jesus is the truth, he defines what is both true and false he is the mighty counselor who defines our sin, our rebellion, our need for salvation, what is righteous, what is holy, and what is true. The reality of the world is that the greater the consequence, the more willing people are to pay for wise counsel. Hedge fund managers make investment decisions on a scale most of us could not imagine, but but we're thankful for them because their decisions affect many of your retirements. And as a result of the, the tremendous wealth that they're responsible for, the most successful are rewarded with large salaries and benefits. Last year, 2022, Citadel CEO Kevin Griffin took home a paycheck of around 
$1.1 billion. Friends, I don't even know how much that is. It's a lot of money. And you might say, well, that's, that's extravagant. That's almost grossly extravagant. But, but friends, it was gladly paid to him because of his success in the market and the, the tremendous wealth increase that he was able to oversee with his hedge funds. As long as your retirement is increasing and your investments are increasing, those who are responsible for that will be well compensated. Good financial counselors can grow your investment account. But friends, listen to me. Only the wonderful counselor can lead you into eternal salvation. Now, if we're willing to pay hedge fund investors $4.1 billion, how much more is it worth it to you, the one who leads you unto salvation for eternity? Jesus is the way and the truth there is no hope of salvation in anything or anyone else other than Jesus. He says he is the way and the truth. And then he says he is the life. The hope of the Messiah is that he came to defeat death. Isaiah declares that the Messiah will be called Wonderful Counselor, and then he says, Mighty God. This is more than just declaring that the Messiah will be God. It certainly, certainly means that, but it means more than that. It also means that the Messiah comes in the power of God. That the Jesus comes as God in the power of God to accomplish the things that only God can accomplish. He was born in the flesh in all humility and weakness of the flesh. As we spoke last week, he, he was born as an infant, totally dependent on his parents. He was born in the humble circumstances under the rule and authority of, of earthly kings. But, but even in the humility of the flesh, he was mighty God, eternal God. The word who was before was, was, who came according to what only the power, who came to accomplish what only the power of God could accomplish. In his might, he has the power to execute his will perfectly and completely. And friends, he came with the purpose to defeat death. In our sin, you and I and all who have been born were born into sin and under the curse of sin which means we were born into death. Now, to understand this, you, you sort of need a, an overview of all of Scripture. If you were part of our connection classes uh, this past semester, if you, if you were part of my connection classes, I, I made the statement early on that almost everything that's wrong with this world today, everything that's wrong with you, anything that is negative in this world today can be explained with this phrase, Genesis 3. If you're not familiar with what Genesis 3 is, Genesis 3 is where Adam and Eve sinned. And because of their sin, the curse of sin entered the world. And as a result of that came death. 
From the moment of Adam and Eve's sin, the world and everything in it has, was under the curse of sin. I want to read to you uh, Genesis 3, beginning in verse 16. It says, it, where God said to the woman, I, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Uh, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat, and you shall eat the, the, the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. It's first reference to death. So you, until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Up until that moment, and, all, and the testimony of Scripture, Adam and Eve did not know death. They didn't know suffering. They didn't know pain. But from this moment on, until Jesus returns, you and I know pain and suffering. We know death. And with, all, with us comes all of creation knowing the same. When God judged Adam and Eve for their sin, it was the first time the words of pain and suffering and death were known by man. In verse 16 of Genesis chapter 3, it says, it uses the word pain. It talks about being ruled over to Eve. In, in verses 17 through 19, it speaks to Adam. It talks about being the, the ground itself will be cursed, that his, that, his, that his sustaining of life will be coming from his toil and his sweat, and that he will return unto the ground. The first reference unto death. And every generation born after this was born under the curse of sin. Romans chapter 5 says it this way, this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned. From Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans later would tell us that the cost or the wage of sin is death. But friends, here's the good news that Isaiah declared... Jesus made clear. Jesus came to defeat death on the cross and through his sinless sacrifice make a way for sinners to be redeemed and made right before God. That's why in Romans 8 it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of sin of life, for, for the law of the spirit of life that set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Do you hear it? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It's declaring that Jesus came as mighty God in the power of God to defeat sin and death, that you and I, who could not do such, could be made right before God. This is why Jesus declares that he is the life 
For in him and through him, by the mighty power of God, sin was defeated, and the hope of salvation was offered to wicked sinners like you and me. But notice in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus doubles down, makes clear what he means. So Thomas asks the question, how do we get there? Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Now that's pretty definitive. But draw your attention back to the John passage one more time. I want you to see it in your text if you still have your Bibles open. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life, period. And there's one more sentence. No one. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now listen to me carefully, friends. Jesus is saying that the gospel is exclusive. No one except those words are saying that, the, that the, the, the way unto salvation is defined, it is narrow, it is specific. What he's declaring here is that in Jesus alone is salvation. The negative of that is there is no salvation, there is no hope in any other way. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he makes three positive declarations and one negative declaration. The positives are, I am the way, I am the truth, and the, uh, and the life. And the negative is, no one comes to the Father except through me. The hope declared through the prophet Isaiah and testified through the gospel is exclusive. Listen to me carefully. One of the lies that is so often told is that you can have the hope of God without the truth of God. You can enjoy the promises of God without understanding the truth of God. Somehow you can, you can receive the gift of salvation without going through the only way of which the, God, the Bible and Jesus declared you could have salvation. The prophet declared through, that the hope declared through the prophet Isaiah and testified in the Gospels is exclusive. The truth is not known outside of Jesus. Now, there's certainly a general revelation. You can go um, and, 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 and take a, um, a perspective of the, the majesty of creation and the Bible says, well, without excuse because even creation testifies to the glory of God. And so you can get general revelation. There is a God. There is one who created all things. But you cannot understand the truth. You cannot know how unto salvation you receive the gift of forgiveness except in Jesus. The truth is not known outside of Jesus. Salvation and the forgiveness of sins are not received outside of Jesus. Eternal life and eternity in heaven are not uh, uh, received through any other source other than Jesus. I, I don't want to press this beyond what it needs to be, but listen to me carefully. Some of you, some of you are hoping that there's another way. 
Now, you may not be saying that in those terms, but you're doing it, you're testifying to it in, in just the practical reality of your life. So you're trying to be a good person, a good mom, a good dad, and hoping that the goodness of your life will translate into credit when you stand before God. Some of you are hoping that what the Bible declares about salvation just isn't true. So what you're really hoping is that like all dogs go to heaven, all people go to heaven. That somehow God's just going to give a blanket amnesty to, to everyone because of his great love. And I'm telling you, friends, he does indeed love you greatly. Sent his only begotten son because of that love. Gave his sinless son for your sin. But he declares, he defines the truth that the only way to himself, the only way to be made righteous, the only way to have your sins forgiven and be made righteous before a holy God is not through your effort, is not through some other way. It is only through Jesus and his salvation. Listen to me, if you are trying to be saved, to be right before God by any other means than Jesus, what you are doing, whether you realize it or not, is you're rejecting Jesus, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, and you're installing yourself as the definer of truth. And friends, that may satisfy, it may comfort your heart this side of heaven, but it is leading you to condemnation in the judgment of God. The wonderfulness of the Messiah's counsel is only enjoyed by those who receive Jesus as the truth. The celebration of the Messiah being the mighty God is only good news to those who have placed their hope in the salvation of Jesus alone. To be forgiven of your sins, you must trust in Jesus alone. To receive the hope of salvation and of eternal life, you must believe in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the way, the truth, and the life, and in him alone, exclusively through him alone, is salvation. I've already mentioned that the most celebrated counselors of our day are those who are gifted at amassing great wealth. That, isn't, that shouldn't surprise you. We are a culture that honors, cherishes, probably the right word, loves wealth. So it makes sense that those who can grow wealth and achieve wealth and amass wealth are also those that we as a culture most celebrate and honor. Now, this opens the door to masterful deceivers to steal and embezzle great fortunes like Bernie Madoff and Sam Bakeman Freed, but it, but it also allows those who create great wealth to have a significant influence and voice to our culture. Warren Buffett is one of the best-known investors in the world. He's now in his 90s. And he is a, he's celebrated for his long, consistent ability to invest well and build wealth. He is among the top 10 most wealthiest people in the world. And as such, when Buffett speaks on almost any subject, people listen. Recognizing him as a voice of wise counsel. In June of 2006... 
Warren Buffett, the world, at that time, the world's second richest person, announced that he was going to donate 85% of his $44 billion fortune to charity. Now, that's a good thing, yes. A great, an honorable thing, yes. It's hard for me to appreciate what it would be like to write billion-dollar checks. I'd like to try, by the way. I think that'd be a fun thing to do. But over the course of the rest of his life, he's going to give away 85% of his $44 billion wealth. And as he began to do that, he was writing billion-dollar and billion-and-a-half-dollar checks to various foundations and charities. He, of course, was asked to comment on those amazingly large gifts. And Buffett, commenting on this extreme level of generosity, said this. I don't know if he was joking, but you know, we tend to joke about things we we believe. So he said these words. He says, there is more than one way to get to heaven, but this is a great way to do it. Maybe he was being flippant. Maybe he was joking, but I suspect that one who believed the truth of the gospel would not say something so radically untrue. Now listen carefully. Writing checks for over a billion dollars is indeed impressive among men. But it has no standing before the eternal God. If he gave away all of his $44 billion dollars, that would not impress the God who owns all of creation. If he gave away $100 billion, that would do more, no more to make him righteous than if he had given away none. Friends, Jesus came because no matter how extravagant you give to charity, or no matter how sincerely and pious you live out your life, no one, no one can achieve righteousness before God in the efforts of your own. The Bible declares that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the cost of your sin is death. The only thing you can do to atone for your sin is to die and suffer in eternity under the full, unmitigated, holy wrath of God. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. The question is, how do we get there? And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus, the wonderful counselor, who is the way and the truth, the mighty God who is the life and the only way to the Father, is the Messiah who came that sinners might be saved and made right before God. Brothers and sisters, friends, receive the hope of salvation today, which is only in Jesus.
Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the kingdom.